And if I haven't mentioned, we are believing God for $25,000 to send 100 um, uh, youth from unchurched families to um, the ark this season. I want you to pray about that, what you can do and the difference you can make uh, and, and really step into this. The, the, the passion of, of Philippians, which we are studying, is the joy of the gospel. And, and we've enjoyed the joy of the gospel, haven't we? We've seen people get saved in the last three services uh, over the last three weekends in the most beautiful and remarkable way. And if you've come this morning, I want to tell you something. There's a God in heaven that loves you and cares for you and wants to reach down and to change your life. And when we understand that, it changes everything. Now, when I was young, I got converted, and many of you know my story, and Pastor Glenn mentioned it last week, and um, about my um, reputation, and how I got saved, and how God worked and moved. But when I got saved, uh, it was at the time, around that period, and just about when the film Chariots of Fire came out. The story of Eric Liddell who, of course, won the gold medal, who, of course, went on to be a great missionary to China and who laid his life down for that cause. And uh, we all love the film Chariots of Fire, I'm guessing. It won an Oscar. It was amazing. And I don't like it as much as you probably. For there's one reason... And that's because when I was about 16 years old, an evangelist said to me, Hey Phil, would you like to go around the country from little church hall to church hall and show chariots of fire to groups of people and ask them to become Christians at the end of it? I said, I'd love to. What I didn't realise, I had to watch the film 70 times. After 25 times, and it was not in the day when you had projectors, it came in a canister of film, I had to put the film through, I had to turn it on, we had to, it got going, I had to put the coal into the machine, um, and, and there I had to watch the story, and I watched it to the point, after about 25, 30 times, I could speak every line verbatim. And every moment, everything with that I knew. But of course, it never stopped impacting lives and people giving their lives to Jesus. But there's a moment in the film where Eric Liddell is getting ready to run the 440 yards race, the now the 400 meters race, uh, in the, the, the race against Scotland and France, in fact. And there's this amazing moment where he takes off and he starts to run. And as he's running, he's pushed to the side, falls on the ground, and he starts to get up. And the trainer watches him. And as the trainer watches him, he says these words, Get up, laddie. In a Scottish accent, which I will not attempt because I will offend everybody from Scotland. And get up, laddie. And he starts to get up from the ground and he starts to run again. And as he's running again, he catches up with the runners. Not only catches up with the runners, but wins the race and collapses on the floor. 
And I think as I remember that and I was thinking about maybe showing you a clip, but the trauma would be too much for me. But as I was thinking about this sermon, I think this is the words of the Apostle Paul. Because what I want to talk to you about, I want to talk about becoming a winning Christian. But to become a winning Christian, what we have to realise is that we often experience the moment where we fall over. And we're on the ground and we've been pushed out the race and it's time to get up, laddie. It's time to get up from where you are. It's time to make this point and start to run the race again. Because what can happen is that we can become um, distracted. We can be pushed out of the race and we can lose that momentum. And we can lose that, that in our lives. Let's read some scripture. So the Philippians chapter 3 verse 12 says, Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. And all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. There's a number of things in this passage and last week Pastor Glenn spoke about us receiving Christ's resume and looking at the past and where he came from and how he saw his past as nothing but he he realised that now all that he had that was important was in Christ Jesus. Amazing words. But here we're talking about the present. Paul is talking about us being winning Christians in the present that we are willing to step out and we're willing to make a, a difference. And like Eric Liddell, we have to be willing that when we're pushed out the race, we've got to step up and say, okay, I'm going to keep going for the race for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because they I meet too many Christians who have fallen by the wayside. I've met too many of us who have lost our direction and we forgot that first passion within our lives. So what do we have to do? Well, we have to follow Paul's example. And his example here, he moves from one metaphor, uh, he moves to another metaphor, which is athletic. And he talks about the reality of us pushing towards a goal. And we must keep going towards this goal. And we must forget what is behind us. And we must look ahead and go for the prize. And really, if we want to be a winning Christian, we have to be willing to look ahead towards the prize. Of course, the prize for him was meeting the Lord Jesus Christ. The reward was to know that he was going to meet the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And yes, there is an actual prize there. There are rewards in the kingdom of God. But he was looking forward to the day when Christ would return in glory and the dead would rise and we would all be, as it were, as he 
goes on in this passage later on, citizens of heaven and we would reign in the glorious presence of God. And this is what he's saying to us. Listen, you can look around you at the pain of this world. Even this morning we hear the news of the worst massacre in in recent American history that took place in Orlando uh, overnight. We see the news and our phones light up with the horrific actions of what has taken place. And the night before, we heard of a minor celebrity star from The Voice being shot dead as well. We see what's taking place in the world as we look at Syria, as we look at the conflict, as we look at the pain in the world. We look at rioting on the streets of uh, of France because a football team is playing and England and Russia are misbehaving themselves. We live in a crazy world. But Paul says we live in this world, but our hope is yet to come. And we're looking forward to the coming of the glory of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's where we should be at. Is that we should be in a position where we are waiting and expectantly looking for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've never heard this, I want to remind you that the Christian faith is not only in his death, his resurrection, his ascension, but it's rooted in his great return at that time when he will return as judge. So we have to think about where we focus and how do we do this? Well, first of all, we follow Paul's example. All of us then who are mature, we should be mature. Take such a view of things and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. It's about the maturity. We want to follow his example. So how do you become a mature winning Christian? Well, first of all, it starts with dissatisfaction. I know that seems strange. You know, we often preach gospel messages about I can't get no satisfaction. And, you know, when the Rolling Stones sang that, which seems like a hundred years ago. In fact, if you add up all their ages, it comes about 300. um, They sang that and many a gospel preacher preached you won't get any satisfaction. From the world, you can't get satisfaction. We've preached sermons repeatedly on this theme that Christ is the one that brings true satisfaction in our lives. But I want to suggest to you that what Paul is saying in this text is that he is not satisfied at where he is at and he's pushing forward. And I think real maturity in our Christian faith is this, that we don't stop where we are and live in a kind of mediocre Christianity. But our Christianity is supercharged by a sense that I'm dissatisfied and I want to keep growing. I want to get closer to Jesus. I want to go for the goal. I want to grasp his hand. I want to be pulled forward. I want to be mature. And a mature Christian is somebody who's been knocked out of the race, stands back up and starts to run again. That's you and I. He's looking for us to become mature friends. He's looking for us to run the race. You see, he's not comparing himself to anybody else. What he's actually doing, he's really comparing himself to the Lord Jesus Christ. I can honestly say, I don't know about you, but I'm dissatisfied 
I'm dissatisfied with the amount of people that are coming to salvation. I'm dissatisfied. Uh, As I look around, I want God to do more in our city, more in our nation. I want to see, I'm dissatisfied even listening to Vanessa and Mike as they're running the race, as they're pushing forward and they're talking about four young adults being baptised. We want 400 being baptised in northern India, right? We're dissatisfied. And the only way it's going to change in northern India, is by the prevailing prayer of the saints. By us pushing in, by us saying, we're not satisfied with the way things are. I'm not satisfied with my level of spiritual engagement. I'm not satisfied with my prayer life. I'm not satisfied with the way that I'm reading my Bible. Actually, I'm dissatisfied. Oh yes, you may compare yourself with others around and think, you know, I'm coming to church Sunday morning, look, I'm here. I haven't given in to the God of Sunday soccer. No. I'm pretty good. Look at me. Thank you. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty impressive. I'm here Sunday after Sunday. I look the part. I'm the part. No, you can't. Compare yourself with others. The Lord never asked you to do that. We look at ourselves and we look at Jesus and we become dissatisfied and we say, I want to become more and more like the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. How are you doing? Are you pretty satisfied with your Christianity? Or do you want to hear his voice clearer? Do you want to see God answer our prayers more? Do you want to go for the race? I think a winning Christian is somebody who is never satisfied and has a dissatisfied sense where we want to see God move. We pray and see God answer beautiful prayers. Friends, thank you for praying last week for that dear baby that was uh, placed in a coma, was rushed to Vancouver. And we thought, we were just praying that that child would would breathe and live and this weekend I can say to you that 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 child is breathing and is alive and in the arms of its parents and God answered our prayers that's good and I I, I chatted to Eva and and chatted and, and they were like you know it was amazing it was God answered prayers the little baby did have a stroke and we, we don't know what that means. But at least the child's alive and we can pray for ongoing healing if there's been any damage caused by that stroke. I'm dissatisfied. I want to keep believing that God will work amongst his people. I want to keep believing that more people will give their lives to Jesus Christ. So how do, how do I handle this? Well, he explains this. He says, not that I have already arrived... Oh, I've obtained all of this. I have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold. This is the key. Press on. Press on. Keep going. For which Christ took hold of me. He took hold of me. I press on to take hold of him. And I want to keep going in my Christianity. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. The second point is devotion. Yet to have taken hold of it. Of what? What is it? Well, it's, it's, it's Christ. 
I want to take hold of him. I want to grasp everything and know everything about Jesus. We are evangelical Anabaptists. What does that mean? It means the supremacy, the centrality of Jesus Christ. We see everything through Jesus as the church does, backwards and forwards through Jesus Christ. If you want to know God, look at Jesus. If you understand him, grasp hold of Jesus. If you want to find salvation, put your trust in Jesus because Jesus is the way, the truth and the life for this world. That's who we are. But we have to take hold of it. But the issue with taking hold of it is that often things stop us from taking hold of it. I'm reminded of the young rich ruler in Mark chapter 10 verse 21. Oh, he comes and says, teacher, tell me how I can inherit the kingdom of God, please. I'm a a good boy. I'm a good Jewish boy. I'm, I, I do the religious thing. I obey all the commands. And I've made a little bit of money. I'm a wealthy boy. And Jesus says to him, go on. One thing you must do. He says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. See, it's always about love. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come and follow me. See, the one thing that you're grasping onto the most is the wealth. If you let go of your wealth, you discover the great power of God in your life. I don't know what you're grasping on. In this passage, he wasn't teaching that we should... Get rid of all of our wealth. But what he was teaching was we need to know who our wealth really belongs to. It all belongs to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You and I are stewards of that wealth. But the issue is even deeper. It's what are you grasping to? Is it the wealth? Or maybe you're like Martha in in Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 10 and verse 42. Oh, she's a busy lady, Martha. And there's Mary. But Martha is cleaning. Martha is cooking. Martha is organizing. Martha is amazing. Martha is that, 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 that lady that we always want at every party. Because while we sit back and enjoy ourselves, she is doing all the activities. And I know that in life we can get so caught up with, with cleaning and doing and jobs and action and never sitting still. My mother-in-law is like that. She never sit still. She's what? I don't know how old is she now. I'll get it wrong probably. She's 65 years old. And, and she's, she'll be here this summer. You'll see her walking around Rutland. And she never stops. This last week, she's bought a Fitbit. And so we've been all treated every day on Facebook to her Fitbit distance. So if you don't know what a Fitbit is, it logs every step that you take. What I've discovered is that she takes a lot of steps. Yesterday, she took 18,000 steps. And I said to Michelle, does she really do that? Or is she just sort of, you know, doing that when she's talking to get it going? She goes, no, what I've realized is, is that my mom never sits down. 
She goes for a walk here. She goes into town to buy shopping. She walks around the house. She's always cleaning. An amazing lady, an incredible evangelist, but never stops. You see, that's great. Keeps you fit. And you can tell the world now through Facebook. And you can brag and we can all feel bad. But if you, like Martha, don't grasp onto the first thing, which is Jesus. See, we've got to be willing to say, am I become so driven by doing that I'm never being with him, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? A winner is somebody that is dissatisfied and we want to see the world change. A winner is somebody that is saying, I want to go for it. I want to keep going. I want to sit at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus taught the blind man. He, he said, when they were in John's gospel, they were saying, you know, what happened to you? He said, I don't know what, I, what happened to me. I just met this man and, and they were criticizing him. And they were saying, well, well, who is this man's parents? Well, well, he's, he's mine. But this man doesn't seem quite as the brightest tool or the sharpest tool in the toolbox, if you like. And he's talking. He says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I know. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. See, this is what Paul's saying. One thing I know, I've got to run the race. One thing I know, I've got to go for the goal. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. One thing I know, I was lost, but now I have a living relationship with God. One thing I know, Europe needs to be evangelized by the power of the gospel. And I, Paul, I've got to run the race. One thing I know is that I'm not going to look behind me. I'm going to keep moving forward. And we have to decide, like the psalmist, what we want as number one in our lives as we run the race. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. How are you doing with your gazing? You see, you've got a choice about your life. Our lives can either choose to be a swamp of going in every direction where mosquitoes and diseases develop and grow or we can choose to be concentrated. Concentration is the key. After the great fire of 1871, D.L. Moody, as he looked across Chicago, saw the carnage and the pain and the agony. And D.L. Moody wrote in his journal, one thing I know, one thing I do, and that one thing from this point on, as I look at the fire of Chicago and know about the fires of hell, is this, that I will concentrate only on one thing. And that one thing, he said, is evangelism. I will reach this world. But our Christianity is in danger of becoming a swamp. We're going everywhere, but we're losing the concentration. What is God calling you to do? You see, we want to be like the mighty Fraser River. I came out of a, a point on the phrase I'd been in the 
I was up in um, Williams Lake and I went off for a massive hike in the bush. I was following trails and all of a sudden I came across the Fraser. And I wasn't expecting to see the Fraser at that moment for some reason. I didn't have a map, and, which is not good. And I came out and I was faced with the force, the concentrated power, the strength. I don't want to be a swamp. I want to be a river and I want to be concentrated. I want to know and say one thing I know. So what's going to stop you from being concentrated? Well, when you become, when you lose direction. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Many of you are lying on the floor And pushed out the race because of what has happened behind you is still holding you back from going for the prize and the goal. Think about it. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me. Does this mean Paul had a kind of amnesia? Does it mean that he had a kind of dementia? Does he mean that that he forgot what he he experienced. The word forgetting doesn't mean how we imagine forgetting. What the word forgetting means is that the events of the past, the people that have hurt me, where I've been pushed over, where I've been overlooked, where I've been persecuted, and believe me today, even in our culture, persecution can happen. It's not always persecution, it's more subtle than that, but it's a, it's a pushing against, and I felt the pain of that and the hurt of that. The word forgetting means this. It means that it no longer influences me. It means that it no longer affects me. It means that it has no power over me to hold me back. These things may have happened in my past, but I've forgotten those things. I press forward and I keep going. See, that's why we need inner healing. That's why we need sometimes to know the power of forgiveness and releasing areas of the past and inviting Jesus to come and hear our broken hearts. Because like Paul who was flogged, like Paul who was beaten, like Paul who was gossiped about, like Paul who was misrepresented, like Paul who was in danger of rivers, like Paul who experienced pain of having no money or the pain of, of, of longing for provision and being hungry at times. Like Paul, he has been through the harshest of times of rejection, but he has learned not to live in the past, but to live in the present. And when you live in the present, you look towards the hope that is to come and you forget the past and you push forward. And some of us, are crippled in our Christian faith because we are not forgetting the past. We, the past still has power over us to stop us from achieving the race and the prize that God has called us to. So you have to ask yourself, Lord, what what release, what healing 
do I need to do? But being hind and straining towards what is ahead. Now, there's a lot of debate about this verse here. Because the first question amongst theologians is this. What sport is he talking about here? Have you ever thought about that? Now we instantly think running. I am a runner. I love to run. I've done about six full marathons. I've done about five ultra marathons. I know about running a little bit. I'm not fast, but I keep going. But as I know a little bit about running, I wonder about this. And theologians have thought about this. And, and they say, well, perhaps he's not talking about the athletic sports here. And there's a strong belief. Perhaps he's talking about racing chariots. I like that thought. Racing chariots. Now, now let me show you a picture of a chariot. Uh, this chariot is nothing like the chariots really they'd race. This is for the films. These horses weren't bred until the kind of middle ages of this size. They were small ponies. And when they did chariot racing, you'd have a, a wooden board with some wheels and some wicker around you. And you jump on this little board. So it's, imagine you were... Um, Snowboarding, but with two snowboards with wheels on and a pony in front of you. And this pony, little pony, because they were smaller horses back then. Cavalry hadn't been invented. They weren't using cavalry back then. And, and, and then you would, you would go with your chariot and you have a little pony or ponies would take off and you'd go. Now you're on a piece of light wood because the idea was it to be as light as possible because you're a heavy soldier with lots of armour and you would go. There would be dust. There would be force. There were, the race was on. Do you know why I like this example from... I think it's Weasby that uh, points it out. It's because when I run, I'm using a lot of my effort to get through the race. When I get on a chariot, I've just got to stay concentrated with the reins and let it go. And I'm going for the race and let the dust come in the air. Let the sweat of the horse or the horses run the way. And I've got to hold on for dear life and pray, God, don't let me die. And off you go. I like that because, because I've got to get on. I've got to concentrate. I've got to hold the reins. But the horse has to do the work. And I think sometimes we don't get on. We've got to hold the reins, but we've got to let God do the work. The horsepower is in prayer. The horsepower is in belief. The horsepower is in grace. The horsepower is in God's strength and power at work. Amen? It's not in your effort. I've ran marathons and you do a half marathon, it feels good. But it doesn't just get twice as hard, it gets four times as hard. And when you get to mile 22, it gets eight times as hard. And it's my effort and you hit what they call the wall and your whole body.
body is in pain and you're leaking from places anyway. And it's dreadful. And I wonder why am I doing this? I will never run a marathon again. That's hard work. But when you've got a horse, you've got to trust the power and the horse. You've got to keep your eyes forward. You've got to hold on to the rein and you let the power of God propel you forward. And he's saying, come on, hold on to the reins. Don't do it yourself. Run the race. Go for it. Because if this guy looks behind and worries about what's behind him, what's going to happen? And I want to encourage you in your walk to run this race. I want to encourage you to have dissatisfaction that you want to get closer to Jesus. I want more of him. I want to encourage you from this passage to... To have that devotion. I want to encourage you to keep your direction true and clear. And don't let the past. God remembers no more. That doesn't mean he's forgotten. It means he doesn't hold you account. And you're no longer liable for the debt and judgment of that. It's been wiped off. And finally, determination. We have the determination, he says, for Jesus. Press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me. Uh, Determination, press on towards the goal. Um, Called me heavenwards. I'm going to pursue heavenwards. I'm going to press on towards the goal. This little phrase here in the Greek is brilliant for Canadians because you know all about this one thing. It's a phrase that is used in ancient times to do with hunting down a prey and not giving up when you're out there hunting. We've got some amazing hunters in this church. You know, not only fishermen, amazing fishermen. Manly won our, our fishing competition and, and he caught 52 fish over six inches. Isn't that brilliant? You know, he presses on towards that goal and he wins our ugly trophy. And, but there's other hunters here. And you know when you're out, you've got your eye on the prey and now I'm talking as if I know anything about this. The closest I get to hunting is... Chasing our family rabbit around the garden when it gets out. (laughs) But determine. Determination to follow heavenwards and not give up because it's so precious. Like a hunter pursuing a prey, you pursue Jesus. Yeah? This is what he's saying. Get on your chariot, will you? Get those reins going. Get in the race. Let the dust fly up and go for it. Well, I've talked about my pain with chariots of fire. So I went into a place of holiness with the Lord and I I received a bit of healing. And so I thought I would show you one final clip from chariots of fire. Just to remind you what I'm talking about as I mix metaphors beautifully. Elvina. Gentlemen, get your marks. 
stand together. I love that. Get up, laddie. Get up. You say, what did Pastor Phil preach this Sunday? What scripture did he preach from? He preached from chariots of fire. Get up, laddie. Get up. That's what you've got to do. Will you get up? Will you get up and keep running that race, putting the past behind you? Lord, We dedicate ourselves to you at this moment. And Lord, we pray that we may have that determination. We pray, Lord, that we may have that strength running through us. We pray, Lord, that we may step on to that devotional life. Help us to find freedom from the past where it still influences and controls us. And help us, Lord, to be determined to pursue heavenwards like a hunter after a prey. To look towards you and all that you have for us. Lord Jesus, I ask. Amen.